0: This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode twenty-six of the Equestrian Legends Radio Show on the Horse Radio Network presented by Pessoa, Claire Simpson. I'm Glenn the Geek, founder of the Horse Radio Network, and our guest this week is Morgan legend Claire Simpson. But first, a word from Pessoa. The name Pessoa is legendary in equestrian circles. During his phenomenally successful career as a rider, Nelson Pessoa set his sights on creating the ultimate in saddle design. Not satisfied with the perfection of balance, aesthetics, and craftsmanship, Nelson's goal was to provide riders of every level the opportunity to train and compete in a true competition-level saddle, a saddle that would be an aid to their balance and riding style while offering comfortable fit for almost any horse. Most importantly, Nelson felt that the saddle was a tool that riders should not miss out on because of price. With these goals, the modern-day Pessoa was born, and it has come to encompass saddles, strap goods, horse boots, and blankets. That's right, Pessoa has some of the finest blankets on the market today. For example, their Pessoa Tundra 2100 Denier Turnout Blanket is their toughest Pessoa blanket yet. This top-of-the-line waterproof, breathable turnout blanket features a 2100 Denier Teflon-coated ballistic weave ripstop outer shell. It has 300 grams of insulin with a 3M moisture wicking quick drying lining. The patented closure system allows you to adjust the front closures just once and thereafter snap the blanket closed. Easy bend elastic comfort neck gusset reduces shoulder rubbing and allows free neck and head movement. The removable double hook tail loop cover, adjustable leg straps, hidden elastic surcingle, action gullets, rust proof hardware, and D-ring for optional neck rug attachment make this one of the finest most technologically advanced blankets on the market today plus a three-year warranty that covers fabric tearing because Pessoa backs the products that it sells to learn more about Pessoa Tundra 2100 and all of the other fine products at Pessoa ask your local retailer or visit them online at PessoaUSA.com Claire Simpson is a legend in the Morgan horse world with multiple national, regional, and local titles in park saddle, English pleasure, and pleasure driving. He is known for breeding some of the finest Morgans under the Winterset name. Claire was born on a farm in 1933 in the Dust Bowl of Kansas at the start of the Depression. It was in these early tough farm years that Claire developed a love for horses. However, like so many of us, life sometimes gets in the way of our horse obsession— and that was the case with Claire. And what a life it was, as the Kansas boy born in some of the darkest days of this country has seen, ended up in New York City and an amazing career of 40 years in the TV and entertainment business. Claire eventually became vice president of NBC's daytime programming. Horses did come back into his life in a big way, much later in life, but it did not take long for Claire to make waves in the Morgan world. The Horse Radio Network is proud to introduce equestrian legend Claire Simpson. Well, hello, Claire, and thank you so much for joining us and being uh, on our equest- being one of our equestrian legends. And I'm
1: pleased to be here.
0: Well, I received you as a lead, and some somebody said you need to have him on. He's one of our equestrian legends from the Morgan World. Julie Broadway, executive director of the uh, Morgan Association referred me, and I am so glad after I got researching your life and taking a look, I was so excited to talk to you tonight because you have led such an interesting life.
1: It's, it, it has been an exciting life, uh, 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 a lot of ups and a lot of downs, but I think more on the positive side.
0: Well, and you've met some very interesting people over the years, and really had two parts to your life, which we're going to get into a little bit here. You had the TV and entertainment side, and then the horse side. Um, and I want to talk about both because I think they're both fascinating, and and we'll go through go through your life a little bit on both sides of the aisle. But first, an interesting, let's, an interesting
1: facet to that, Glenn, is yeah. that both of those sides are very very similar. In the television business, you have few successes because the number of programs that are developed and ever on the air it's probably like 2% and the same thing with horses horses are yeah, those those winds come hard but there are many times when you don't get in the ribbons so they are similar
0: well that's true i never thought about it that way tell us a little bit about growing up in in kansas and and what that was like you were growing up you were born in 1933 heart of, of the dust bowl and the started the depression actually Right. Um, so what was that like for you and your family at, growing up on a farm out there in Kansas?
1: Well, my my first recollection were these dust storms. And my mom would put my sister and I to bed uh, in, in daylight, except it was getting dark out because of the storm, and cover us with damp sheets. And uh, after the storm, those sheets would be gray because you had no way to keep out uh, that dirt. Uh, keep in mind that this was back in, in the early 30s. And outside, the farm implements would be uh, dust uh, would be uh, banked just like a, a drift of snow. And uh, everything was very, very gritty. And uh, and as you probably know then, land was uh, was cheap. Uh, I think you could have bought it uh, for a nickel an acre. My problem was that my dad just didn't have any nickels. And uh, <laughs> as a result, we, we left that part of the state and moved uh To another part of the state uh, where we where we started a a dairy farm and uh, which was uh, was was intensive Uh, a lot a lot of work but the whole family pitched in and and we did everything
0: well in those days of course we were milking uh, by hand and you know I known a lot of dairy farmers over the years having grown up where I did and boy what a tough life you can't ever get away you those cows need milk twice a day period
1: seven days a week we had twenty-six Jersey-Guernsey cows, and uh, my Brown dad did, my my dad did uh, most of the milking, and uh, we uh, we bottled that milk. Uh, we cooled it first, uh, and then then bi- bottled it, capped it, put it in the wagon, took the old mare to town, and delivered it. And it was ten cents a bottle, a quart. Uh, tough, tough uh, life. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, not a, a, a great return, but, uh, it was a, it was a, a living. Uh, I don't know if we ever made very, we we made enough to put food on the table and that was about it.
0: Now you, uh, in those days too, that's where you were exposed first to horses
1: that was my first experience other than when i was a, a little bit younger uh we used to sneak out behind a barn and try to ride those calves uh, you know <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we but uh, we got caught doing that and so that that ended and uh, i didn't have a pony around so a calf was was you know was similar a little lower to the ground maybe uh so but but lady was a a mare a draft not a draft but a a crossbreed of some sort and uh, my dad had fashioned this uh, milk wagon together, built it uh, with, with iron, had iron wheels and, and a plywood uh, top and side and bottoms, and made uh, letters that said Simpson's Dairy. And uh, my part there at this time, keep in mind at that, that time I was only about eight or nine. And when my dad couldn't harness the mare and do the delivery, uh, my mom would get out there. She would help me harness this mare, put me on the back and say, go to town, son, and off we would go to town, which was about a mile away. And uh, there was no horsemanship involved here because (laughs) this mare knew the route. And he'd go to town, and I would get out of there, and you had those little six-packs that you could carry and there was this one restaurant that uh, needed two of them and i could only carry one so i would carry one over she would go down the street come back down the alley and meet me there so it was she she knew the route and uh, and it was uh, at the time i don't know if it was that much fun but when i looked back uh, years later i said you know that that, that was a great experience uh, and i had to do all of that uh, before i uh, went to school, and, and I, had a, I was about a mile away. And, and in those days, you didn't have a, a mom or a dad who took you to school. You walked, and uh, that was it. So that was, uh, that was my, my, my first experience with any kind of a horse.
0: Now, you, you were born in 33, so you were still pretty young. You were 7 or 8 when World War II really started to kick in. I was, I was eight, in. Years yeah. yep. 8 years old.
1: Yeah, 8 years old. What are
0: your memories of how, what it was like in Kansas during World War II?
1: I was scared to death when I remember Pearl Harbor and and we were at war and to me and how I had had um, this this perception of where it came from I'm not I just don't know but to me that was like you know there were going to be people marching into town with guns and uh, and it was a, a frightening frightening uh, experience uh, and in those days of course then what happened was that everybody would go would gather up all their scrap metal from the farms and take it into town and and in return for doing that you would get a free ticket to the local movie house which was a, at that time cost about ten cents. Uh and then the troop trains they would come through and of course you had fellows leaving and we'd all go down to the train station and and uh and see them off and uh that was the the uh the uh Santa Fe, Topeka, and the Atchison line, uh, or was it the Topeka, Santa Fe, and something on the Atchison line? I guess, and uh, only used on very rarely, and uh, and never on the weekends, as I recall.
0: <laughs> so you were you were you were just coming into probably your junior high and high school years when the war ended. Then,
1: right, right, yeah
0: and right. And you were in high school now in those days, you know things were a little different than they are today. If you got to go to college, that was kind of a big deal
1: it was a It was a big deal, and my sister uh, unfortunately uh, did not get to go to college, but about the time she graduated from high school, uh, my mother died in an accident, so that uh, she didn't go to school and uh, and uh, I was fortunate then uh, to be able to go to school, I uh, when I when I <laughs> I wanted to play football because I grew up in this little town of 2,000 people, and it was a football hotbed. And seventh grade came, and I couldn't play football because of all my chores. And I finally, I think it was maybe in my eighth grade or ninth grade, I got the courage to ask my dad if I could play football, and he says in so many words, he said, "Son." Not a problem. He said, just get your five cows milked in the morning, <laughs> your five cows milked at night. <laughs> and uh, that's what I did.
0: And uh, you played all the way through high school and then? Where all did... high school. And actually, the
1: football, it was a double-edged sword <laughs> in that um, we were a small town, as I said, 2,000 people, uh, 190 kids in, in high school. And my senior year, we were ranked fourth in the state, which was just an improbable thing. I mean, who, no, no small school had ever done done what we did. And so I had uh, I had uh, football scholarships. Meanwhile, uh, the uh, the Aggie uh, teacher uh, in, in high school, and I was an Aggie, uh, n- took an interest in me and. Uh, in fact, uh, there was a public uh, – I belonged to FFA, and there was an FFA public speaking contest in Manhattan, Kansas, where Kansas State College was located. And uh, he he took an interest, and, and I wrote a speech and gave it there, and, and that was my big epiphany because it was – I finally uh, – finally learned to get up in front of people and and have the the fortitude to you know to, to speak and, and do things and it just it, that that event probably changed my life more than anything else uh, even through through college because it was the it was the thing that gave me the impetus to do the things in college uh, that that i did uh, anyway to make a this story a lot shorter is that i w- i enrolled in uh, Kansas State with a football scholarship in the vet school and this was right after Korea and there was a real shortage of men because of the war and freshmen were eligible for the first time ever in the NCAA and they said look Simpson you're uh, you're going to be on a traveling squad there's no question we've seen you play and in fact, you're probably going to be starting. And, what position, uh, by
0: the way? I didn't ask you.
1: I I played a a, a, a tight end on. Okay. In those days, you had to play both ways. I played a tight end on on offense and an outside linebacker on on defense.
0: Oh, great! And with the no helmets, you were getting smacked in the face all the time in those. <laughs> and, uh, and as my kids say,
1: Dad, did, did, uh, he, did, uh, were those leather helmets really? Did they really protect no. you? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, they uh, uh, gave me, uh, they, they said, look, son, you're going to be on that traveling, and we want you to take a general curriculum, just so you'll be sure and stay eligible, this and that.
0: And Don't take anything we'll, too
1: hard. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see you through vet school. We'll, whatever it takes, we'll see you in vet school. Well, I got into communications, and the, the rest is history. I never got back to vet school uh. So.
0: Well, yeah, and we're going to get into that too. You you took communications and ended up taking some television classes, right? Right, right. And, and mm-hmm. that's where that interest uh, came from. Now, was there at this point was there any horse involvement at all? You really weren't into horses at all during this no, time.
1: No, but I, I had my uh, uh, I did have a horse. Uh, to go back a little bit, uh, uh, during the war, one day I come home and my dad's acquired a saddlebred. Oh and he's a rescue horse he had gotten his uh, pastern caught in a in a loop of wire and, and and it was raw and bleeding and so forth and i don't know the i never did know the details of this but uh uh he he had a tremendous scar right around the, the pastern and uh it took a while before he was before he was sound so my dad because when he was farming in western Kansas, it's all by you know, a horse, and you're out there with a plow, and, and the, you know, the reins are the lines around your neck, and you're plowing and walking along. He was a horseman. And uh, so he decided that, uh, by golly, he was going to gate this guy, and he did. He took him up. We had a hill, a road that went up from our farm and came back down. And he says, as I understand, he says, you got to get him up that top of the hill. On the way down, you shake him into that slow gate, and that's what he did. So this became a project, and uh, we didn't have any equipment, and somewhere he he came up with a a saddle and a bridle, and we started riding him. And then he decided that we were going to drive this horse, going to have a fine hornet horse. So he found an old buckboard. And he took some bicycle wheels, and he got the Shaz, and painted it black, and, and we got a, a harness, and we, we, we had two harnesses. One we, we cut up, or he did, and with rivets and so forth, made a tail set because you had to have a high tail for a saddle brand. And now we had a fine harness horse. And we showed all around those local shows. Now, part of the story is the mayor of our town was the guy who covered all the football games for the local newspaper. So he knew me. He also had saddlebreds, the only saddlebreds, and probably in the whole area there, maybe you could probably go thirty forty miles and not find any saddlebreds so he had a big van, and we would go off to a horse show and he 'd put his three horses on and put mine on the back and we 'd go off to a horse show and in those days they were all it was it was local, which would be amateur and then the then then the 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 open and I always showed of course in in local shows in local classes and uh, and you go to a show, be a big tent, straight stalls, and you slept on a cotton back of your horse. That was the way it was. And I got a kick out of that. I had so much fun doing that. And then uh, on my, what's it, my, fifth, no, my 16th birthday, my horse died. He called it tonight.
0: Uh, you know, um, when, you, when you graduated from college then, was your degree in communications?
1: it was in radio television speech
0: okay how did you end up then going into the navy
1: (laughs) well in those days as you 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 may have read because you're probably a lot younger than i am uh you everybody had to serve i mean unless you had some kind of a deferment and you're going to continue your education but uh you had to go in and uh the, the Navy was offering an aviation officer candidate school down in Pensacola for college graduates. And the deal was you go down and you take uh, pre-flight for four months, you get your commission, and then you go into flight school. So I, went to, I went, took a physical in Kansas City and the past, went down to Pensacola, and uh, I couldn't pass the eye test. Uh, and I still see somewhat double vision, and uh, particularly at night. And they said, you know, this won't do, it and there's no way to correct this. We'll give you, you got three choices. You can go home, you're still going to get drafted, or you can go in the, into the Navy as a, as a white hat and in the fleet and for two years, or go through pre flight and we'll recommission you. We'll commission you as a ground officer. So I chose the latter. That
0: seemed like the best choice.
1: That was the best. <laughs> and, uh, and then i i laid around on the white uh, sand beaches of Pensacola for about 4 months and finally a civilian got a hold of me one day and he says son he says i see you every day what are you doing here and i said i'm waiting for orders and I, <laughs> so he said what what did you do and i said well i after college i worked for a television station and he says, okay and uh, so a couple of weeks go by and he says i got a job for you it's in the pentagon and uh, it's for the office of information which reports directly to uh, the, the, the secretary the uh, navy and i said well hey that that sounds good uh, what would i do he says well there's a junior position in the radio television branch boy did i grab that in a hurry and it was the smartest thing that ever that i ever did and the luckiest thing that i ever got i'll really tell you because what that led to was a an entree to the television business on a pretty high level in new york and uh, and great experience, and what we did we we when people a producer wanted to do a, a series or a special or needed personnel, they had to come to me and ask me for permission and Of course, we reviewed scripts and we got them footage, we got them personnel, we got them ships, we got them planes, and so forth, and it was just a tremendous job and instant simpson was uh, was the luckiest guy that ever lived i'll tell you
0: so you you met all of the producers and your your probably future employers through that position, and then did end up in New York and subsequently spent forty years in the t v industry there
1: that's right forty years mm-hmm. so yeah. what
0: was your first position there when you when you first went to New York? That must have been exciting, you know. I know as an entertainer and a performer how exciting it is to finally get to the place where you want to be. Those years uh, were they fun? Were they challenging? Were, what, well, yeah, you know, they what were. You
1: they, you know, I, I'm the kind of guy who who never gave anything second thought. Really, as far as a, I just did it. I just that was the way I was I was taught uh, that when you when you have a job to do, you get out and you and you do it. And uh, so I. I went to New York looking for a job, and in talking to a number of people, everybody seemed to think that what I did in the Navy would work working for an advertising agency because what they did, they were coordinators between uh, the the uh, the clients and the networks and right. in fact, in those days, this was the late fifties uh, uh, many of the television programs were still being owned and controlled by advertisers so I had two interviews, one at a, a, an agency called Young and Rubicam and another one, J. Walter Dobson, and I got an offer from both of them, but only at Young and Rubicam would they say, well, you'll start as a trainee, uh, and, uh, but you'll, you will be in the television department. So I, I, I went for the interview, and they said, well, you have an interesting background so forth, We'll we'll call you. So they did call me and offered me the job. And uh, this fellow, he says, he says, he says, I want to tell you the reason we're hiring you. He said, we've never hired any trainees in the television department. Now this was a 65 man department. I mean, and it included all the people who produced uh, commercials uh, as well. And he said, the reason we're hiring you, he says, you know, we have so many people here from the Ivy League. You're from Kansas, and we want some different blood in here. <laughs> so that's that's how I got the job, really. <laughs>
0: you were a minority in those times. I was a minority, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, trying to give us a, a Reader's Digest version of your life in New York, you eventually ended up as the head of NBC, the daytime TV, and you you ended up uh, then uh, with time magazine in london well, right. what what well, you, you did well, what, so many yeah. interesting things and well, met so many well, interesting people
1: well what happened uh, and what gave me that opportunity was that uh, uh, at young and rubicam i i, I make, worked there for 13 years and went up the ladder and and uh, another interesting story about two years three years at YNR, and i didn't feel i was really making a lot of progress so I went to see the guy who hired me and I said to him, I said, look, I just feel like I'm not getting ahead. There's all these guys that, you know, and they, they know everything. And I, you know, I'm just, I'm, I I'm just culture shock here. And he said, look, he says I'll tell you one thing. He says, he says, what you, what they know you can learn, what you know, they'll never learn. Hmm. And from then on it all turned, uh, it turned good. And I, I stuck it out and, uh, and became head of the department, and that's when I then moved on to um, to NBC as uh, vice president for daytime programming.
0: I saw a picture of you, uh, and it was for the tenth anniversary of Jeopardy. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. You know, when you think about how long Jeopardy's been on the air, how did you get involved with Jeopardy?
1: Well, Jeopardy was was one of my programs that I was, you know, was on the daytime schedule. And uh, Art Fleming was the host then, long before Alex Trebek. And it was the 10th anniversary, and uh, the powers above me said, look, Simpson, we, we're going to celebrate this. On, it's a good good promotional thing. We want you to go on uh, air and present uh, Art with this plaque. And, and, and that's what I did. Uh, and I, I've always joked with people in, in, in meetings, or not meetings, but social gatherings, and I'll say, look, uh, they'll be talking about all their achievements, I say, well, you may have done that, but, you know, I bet none of you have ever been on Jeopardy, and I have.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Now, you were in charge of all daytime programming, so that also included the soaps and and the game shows, pretty much all of that.
1: Right. Now, subsequently to that, I moved up to uh, the uh, East Coast uh, programming job, which was the number three spot in the programming uh, department there. Wow.
0: Now you uh, in those days. What what are some of your mem- What are your, some of your fondest memories of your time in New York? People you met, uh, things that really stand out for you? Because you worked on so many different shows and and worked with so many different people. Are there a couple of things that really stand out for uh, for you?
1: Well, it, it there, there there are there are some, some some moments. One 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 in particular, which was which was very typical of television back in the sixties and. Uh, at that time, Carol Channing was uh, very big with her with her show Hello Dolly, and everybody was trying to get Carol Channing uh, onto a sitcom. Okay, and so we, yet younger we became, uh went to her agent and we got her to to agree to do a sitcom, and we got Desi to to produce it, Desi Arnaz. And uh, so they did the show. We, uh, this is just a big deal, big in the in the business. Uh, the Young and the Rubicam uh, for for uh, General Foods was uh, our client that that, that, that uh, uh, financed it. They got Carol Channing to do a sitcom. This it was big, big stuff. So now we got to do a pilot, and the pilot comes in uh, in the, I guess around February getting ready for all the new shows for the next season. And we look at the pilot. It is awful. <laughs> it is terrible. And we, we just feel so badly. we didn't even want to show it to the client. So we went to CBS, and we says, look, uh, we got the pilot now, and I'll tell you what, if you guys will pick up the cost of the pilot, we'll give you a first shot at it. Man, they couldn't write a check fast enough. <laughs> and... Call that dirty tricks. I don't know, but that was so typical of the business. Uh, it was an exciting business because um, when when you're doing all this stuff and and uh, you're going out to California, I mean, it's pretty heady stuff. And meeting with all these people, these writers and 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 and, and uh, uh, directors and talent and everything, and uh, you really have to keep your head on straight. And uh, I had a lot of fun. It was, it, was, uh, it was interesting and beyond anything that I'd ever, ever imagined that I would be doing, which made it just that much better. Uh, yeah, but... little
0: boys from Kansas usually don't end up there. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's true. That's true.
0: Now, you uh, went to Time Magazine at some point and then actually worked coordinating with the BBC. Was that in London?
1: Uh, well, I spent an awful lot of time uh, going back and forth to London. Uh, basically, this was Time Life uh, Television, and uh, we had a co-production arrangement, uh, exclusive co-production arrangement with the BBC for those big series uh, that were going to be uh, distributed uh, in in the United States and and all on on PBS and and usually supported by. Uh, advertisers like uh, like mobile and MetLife and, and so so some of those other illustrious uh, uh, corporations and so uh, my job really was to stay in touch with the BBC and the producers to try to keep an, uh, keep the people uh, the advertisers updated as what was going on. Uh, I will admit that working with the BBC, you didn't, be, you were not able to contribute very much creatively because they didn't want anybody to
0: right.
1: uh, contribute anything. Uh, it was a
0: closed shop. But it
1: was a, uh, it was fun. Uh, I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed the experience, and I was, I did this for about four years, I think, as I recall. Um, it was fun. I, I, I enjoyed it uh, immensely
0: let 's get back uh to turn the corner now, and I want to ask you how did horses come back into your life? You live in in New York at this point all right you know where did uh, where did horses come back in, and how did Morgans enter the picture
1: all right uh, there there are two important uh episodes here <laughs> one uh, when I was uh, head of television for Young Young Rubicam, I took a vacation, the first vacation i'd had in six years, and uh, we took a house in Cape Cod and uh when I went in to sign the papers with the guy who owned the house, he, he he lived, the house was on the beach, and his house was over the over the hill a ways. And I walked into his uh, place, and I looked around, and I said, gee, I said, you know, I collect uh, equine memorabilia be- uh, all for, for years. I said, I, I haven't been, had any horses since I was a, a teenager, but I said, and books. And I said, you've probably got almost as many horse books as I have. And he says, yeah, we have, uh, he says, I've got a, I've got Morgan horses. I've got a stallion and a mare with a foal down the barn. And I said, really, what are, Morgans? I said, I never heard of Morgans. What are they like? So he told me a little bit about them. So anyway, what happened, uh, my family enjoyed the beach. I enjoyed the horses. I rode the stallion around <laughs> the, the, the field there. And I said, wow, I like this horse a lot. Not too long after that, I went to NBC. And NBC had uh, the, the Disney Justin Morgan uh, had a horse uh, uh, movie and and that really solidified the fact that i said well i, I, I if, if I ever get horses again i 'm going to look at those Morgans. The other event that happened goes back when i was at uh, when I was at NBC and Jim Lipton, who's the host of the Bravo's uh, Inside the Actor's Studio. Can I add
0: yeah. right here, can I give yeah. him a shout-out at this point? Because sure. Because this show, uh, *Questrian Legends, is really taken after Inside the Actor's Studio. It was designed because we love that show and been watching it for years, and and we thought... You know, there's nothing like it in the horse world. We really need for historical record to get some of these equestrian legends' voices on tape. And now he does. He's 100,000 times better than I'll ever be. But, <laughs> but uh, you know, that's the impetus behind this show. So thank you. Uh, thank you to James Lipton for that.
1: Well, what, what happened was uh, we, he was writing uh, Peyton Place for me, and we had, uh, we had story conference every Wednesday afternoon. So he comes in one day and he's in his riding outfit, you know, boots and breeches and everything. And I, I knew, I knew what he was doing. I said, Jim, are you going to a costume party? And he says, No. <laughs> he says, Don't you know what I do? And I says, No. What do you do? He says, I ride. <laughs> so I said, I used to ride years ago. I said I haven't been on a horse in probably over 20 years. But uh, I said, Look, uh, why don't, uh, why don't we do some riding? He says, Good. He, so he took, he started taking me out to. This place uh, north of New York City, about uh, 20 miles, White Plains. And the first lesson uh, was a group lesson. And I, I, meanwhile, I didn't have any riding equipment. In fact, when I was a kid, I didn't have any official, you know, uh, riding gear like jodphers, what you wear for saddle seat riding, uh, or any boots or anything. I just I wore rather regular pants and 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 and, and oxfords and with with clips that held my pants down. So I went down to Kaufman's, which was a big, big uh, salary here in New York City, and and I bought all this equipment, and I took it out there, and they could tell I was a I was a greenhorn. I guy, you know, brand, everything was brand new, and I rode. It was a two-hour lesson, group lesson, and the next day I was sore. The <laughs> following day I couldn't get out of bed, <laughs> but that's how I really got interested again in horses and said, I'm going to get a horse, I'm going to ride, and that's when I began looking for a place uh, where I, li- I currently live. That was uh, uh, 40 years ago.
0: And that was Over. in New York, uh, uh, just north of New York City, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was, was it in 1972 that you bought uh, uh, Benefield's Ace daughter, a daughter right. of Benefield's Ace? Yep, uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, was that your first uh, horse then? At that, point? that was
1: my first Morgan, Right and um, and really uh, the uh, uh, her her the breeding on her top side uh, was a a, a breeding uh, a, a bloodline called Benfield and uh, and that became really the uh, cornerstone of my, my breeding breeding right to, up to this day.
0: And at that point, you started uh, your breeding and, and really uh, had a number of horses from that point on.
1: We we. Uh, we had quite a few horses here and my kids were all in their teens and uh the three older kids and uh and they rode and they and they showed and we did it as a as a family family thing and uh uh because of my nature i thought i could do everything uh, only to realize down the road of many years later that probably uh, using a, a professional trainer is the better part of valor. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you want to go to Oklahoma and win championships, it's better to do it that way. But uh, we we all learn from our our, our past uh, experiences, whether they're failures or successes.
0: <laughs> now you were doing were you doing park saddle at that point or? What well way? if i had a park horse
1: i was uh i had one i had one stallion who was uh, was a true true park horse but most of, most of it uh was was pleasure driving and and riding and uh it, which is a discipline within the horse show uh, right. uh r- arena and uh and we did we had some really good in hand horses my first philly uh was a that, that Panorama marita the first one i bought did extremely well in hand and and uh and I showed her myself. Uh, um, but uh, park horses have always been my uh, my because mostly because that that goes back to my saddlebred days uh, as, with the high steppers mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. and as I said I'm a high stepper kind of guy and that's why I always I like the the park horse uh, park uh, horses.
0: Now, you, in 1996, um, you had a a surgery that didn't go so well, and and from what I read, that really affected what happened after in your life.
1: It sure did. A medical injury, uh, a mistake that uh, cut my sciatic nerve and left me without my right leg, and it took me... Several years of rehabbing before I could even think about getting on a horse. And when I did, I was totally lost uh, because the horse, the, the leg had lost uh, its capability of knowing where it was at. So I went to an old friend who was top, one of the top equitation teachers uh, in the Oregon breed and, and began riding with her. And, and that was uh, Barbara
0: uh, Irvine? Barbara
1: Irvine, right. Yeah. And my, I took my first lesson, uh, which I'd never, and in fact, I had never had. A, a riding lesson in my life. Even though my daughters had experienced that from a great, uh, a great horseman, a guy by the name of a fellow by the name of Joe Venorio, who is a legend. Um, and uh, I, uh, she told me, she says, "Look, you, I know you've been riding all your life, but you do so many things wrong. I'm not <laughs> going to try to correct them all, the, particularly your age." And I think I was like 68 at that point, something like that. And so I said, fine, let's Trojan on here. And so we did. And, uh, and, uh, finally she came to me and she says, look, you're making progress, but unless you can ride with me, you know, two or three times a week, I don't think I can make a, a really good show rider out of you. And I said, that's, I can't do that. You're two hours away. So we go along and I guess it was about, this was in the fall, just before Christmas, I walked in and said, let's buy me a show horse. And that's, that's what changed everything <laughs> at that point. And, um. Uh, that's when I uh, we began looking for a, 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 I wanted a... I wanted a contender. I didn't want to buy a ribbon. I didn't want to buy a, a proven winner. I wanted a contender, not necessarily a project, which was what we ended up getting, a project. and uh, uh, But it, it, it had a, a happy ending to it.
0: Yeah, tell us about that project.
1: We uh, I engaged the services of a professional trainer, a fellow by the name of Rick, Steven, Rick Stevens, who uh, sadly, uh, passed away this past fall. And, uh, uh, I bred a couple of stallions that he had stood and, uh, and I had a call him and said, look, I told him what I wanted to do. And he said, well, let's find your horse. So we went down to, to Kentucky to at the Keeneland, a big sale. Uh, 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 there's, they have big, big saddlebred so- shows down there, all kinds of breeds have sh- shows down there. And, um, so there were 85 horses uh, at, 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 at this particular sale. Um, and I, I said, gosh, it's got to be a horse for me. So we went down, there was nothing there. And finally, he, he, he called me one night, we were back, and he said, uh, I found a horse for you, but you can't, don't bring your irons because you're not going to ride her. And I said, hey, the whole idea is it's, we're in April, and it's time now, the show's going to be starting. He, says, I, he said, well, I'll let you give it a shot, but not, not tomorrow night. So went down, saw this mare. She's up in New Hampshire, and uh, and I they they rode her around the ring three times. And I said, "That's enough." And we went over to the corner, and I said, "Let's buy her." So we we made the deal, and uh, and, uh, and 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 I, sh- I shipped the horse to him. And as it turned out, I tried to ride her, and uh, I just was not capable uh, because of her particular cadence that she had. She was a true park horse with with. Uh, a very balanced cadence high high in front and high behind and uh so it took me uh it took me then uh through that season she rick had shown her a couple of times uh and then we uh, uh that winter i i rode every weekend and it took me four months before I was able to really ride her. And uh, we went off to our first show, which was the big Connecticut show at the at the Big E in in uh, yeah. in uh, in, uh, in in Connecticut in uh, Massachusetts. And uh, uh, I get there, and he says, "Look," he said, "you're not going to ride any amateur division." And I says, "Why?" He says, "Your mare is not uh, doesn't have the manners for it, and I don't want you in there with a bunch of of cowgirls with their equitation horses." He says, "He says, it's better just you going to ride any open division." So I rode in the open division, and we started winning. <laughs> but we also got led out of the ring a number of times because the mare was so hot. And um, and, and we're but,
0: teasing uh, everybody. This right. is Sabrina, of course. Yeah, that yeah.
1: was Sabrina, and uh, and uh, it, it, it was just one of the most exciting times of my whole uh, equine uh, career. Um, and sabrina fact, went
0: on in 2002 to be named morgan horse of the year you came a long way very quickly
1: we did and i was that was for the upha here in in, in on the east coast and uh, i was an amateur of the year and it was and and it was interesting that uh, we were originally nominated not by morgan people for the upha but for saddlebed people who had seen me ride her at a at a, at a upha show which uh which was kind of a a, 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 a strange thing.
0: <laughs> now, is it true that it took two people to hold her? Uh, the story is it took two people to hold her for you to even get in the saddle. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, she was. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of harness horses who who you you hook them on the fly, and the minute you put that check on, they're gone. yep uh, But I but she was just so hot, and the thing was that. You really, you really had to ride her with light hands, uh, but you couldn't, but you, 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 you couldn't throw her away because she needed direction. Um, and uh, she, every time you go in the ring, that first way around the ring, she gave you a buck. It just was going to happen, <laughs> going to happen, and you had to be prepared for that. But
0: um, I don't uh, want people had... to lose sight either, Claire, of something here that I think we've sort of brushed over and I think it's important for this conversation, is at what age were you when this all started again? Uh, I was 60, uh, 69. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you started at the 69 and then, be, you know, taking your world championships and everything. I didn't want to, uh, you know, overlook that and bypass <laughs> that because that, you know, that, that gives everybody hope um, right. that you're never too old to start with right. horses. It's one of the you're blessings.
1: Not, and, and, and I'm not your normal 69-year-old. Uh, in that uh, I'm a very determined person uh, I'm very goal oriented uh, and that's what it's all about it's about having goals sitting down and 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 saying this is what I have to do to achieve it and don't tell me that I'm not going to get there because if you do that it just makes me work all that much harder because I was told after I bought her and, and people saw her in the show ring with a professional they said the, 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 and this was you know all the talk on, on uh, you know, in the barns, uh, the, the, that that old guy will never get her in the ring. They never <laughs> will. And I was determined to get her in the ring, and I did.
0: At what point did you retire from the the TV world?
1: Oh golly, twenty years ago. Okay, probably. so
0: you were yeah. you got into this after you retired from? the Oh TV yeah. World. yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it was, uh...
0: and there were many more horses to come. The couple of them that uh, I came across were Zeus. Uh, uh, Winterset right. Zeus, yeah. uh, he's, who...
1: he's out of out of Sabrina, right?
0: Okay. In fact,
1: at the uh, <clears throat> at the big uh, New York uh, New New England show, which they had this year, I think it was seven or eight hundred horses. Uh, um, uh, which is the next to Oklahoma, is is where the Grand National is held, is the largest Morgan show. Uh, Sabrina did well. She had had another uh, gelding uh, that was the uh, amateur. Hunter Pleasure Champion, which was a big, big win at, uh, for New England.
0: Now, was Time and Again
1: out of uh, Sabrina as well? No, no. <clears throat> time and Again was um, uh, by uh, out of uh, uh, a mare that we bred, uh, Winterset Garbo, and uh, she was the uh, the uh, she and another stallion who were the lone survivors of a fire that we had in uh, in '90. 91, and we lost everything here, and so I brought them back, and we started all over again. And uh, but time and again, was 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 by a, a stallion called uh, uh, HBK uh, Belle Flare. That's Herb Kohler. The Kohler Industries had is has been for years one of the biggest breeders of Morgan horses, and this was a a, st- a stallion that was. Uh, uh, A world champion in in hand, in harness, and in in saddle. And uh, he is the stallion that I have here at home now, and he's the one I ride. And uh, he is the the epitome of what a Morgan stallion should look like. Uh, I'm very lucky to have him.
0: Now, you were good friends we talked about earlier with James Lipton. And of course, James Lipton is a jumper. Did you ever uh, dive into the jumping world?
1: Uh, I, I not with Morgans, no. I, I never have. My daughter did some when uh, when she was a teenager with with her Morgan, uh, but she she did mostly uh, roadster. She was uh, and, and New England used to have these road races because it was a half mile track there at, uh, yeah. at in Northampton, and uh, and she used to race her bear, uh there every year.
0: So of your four children, how many ended up being horse horsey?
1: Two. The two girls, mm-hmm. the two boys, no. Football? <laughs> <laughs> actually, actually, the the my my oldest son did play some football, but my my youngest son is, uh, uh, and I did not encourage him uh, uh, because uh, I didn't want him to to suffer with the, all the injuries that uh, yeah. that that came about and uh, which I still battle with today.
0: So, what about uh, right now? Are you still breeding? Are you still showing? Absolutely,
1: yeah.
0: um, absolutely.
1: Um, I'm I'm not a person who can uh, just sit idly by and get on a horse and get out on the trail. Which we have fabulous trails here. Uh, uh, this is an area that with uh, with uh, a lot of celebrities. Martha Stewart is right across the, the way from me here with her six Frisians and and we've got uh, Ralph Lauren over here with his horses and and Glenn Close with hers and then, and the list goes on and on and on but i if i go when i get on a horse i always have a plan in mind and it to, to and it's today this is what we're going to accomplish whether it's for him or whether it's for me and that's just the kind of person that i am and I, I, we don't have that many foals anymore. I've only got the stallion and two brood mares. And uh, we have one two-year-old filly in training right now. I have a, a three-month-old colt who is out of Sabrina by my stallion, and that's a first. And my goal is to is to keep on riding, and my goal is to breed another champion for Oklahoma. And by golly, I want to be on top of it. I mean, that's <laughs> And I realize that uh, time is short, but uh, that's what drives you, though, to, to 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 work hard, to stay in condition, and to keep at it. And I know no other way to do it. I just don't. I I can't just just relax and well, and and enjoy it. I didn't mean to say it's work, but it is work to to do it like I do.
0: Well, now before before we run out of time here. I, there's something that we have to touch on, because I married into the horse world 25 years ago. And you also married about 30 years ago uh, to your wife, Susan, who apparently you, you must have met at work.
1: Yes, we did. We met in the, in the city. Uh, I, uh, uh, at one point in my career, I had my own little business, and I was acquiring format rights from British sitcoms. And I had one, and I took it to uh, one of the Procter Gamble agencies, and they liked the idea. And then Procter Gamble took that and gave it to an agency where Susan happened to be the uh, the, the entertainment lawyer. And uh, then my they said, look, you have to negotiate this deal with her, and that's how I met her.
0: Wow! <laughs> and now you've been married thirty years. Did you convert her into a horse girl? Uh. Not really.
1: Uh, not really. Uh, but it's like this. We, uh, we have a, a beach house in Groton Long Point uh, in Connecticut, and she loves to go there, and uh, I have horse shows, which I love to go to, and we have a deal. If it's important for me to be at the beach house for some dinner or something, I'm there. If it's important for her to be at a horse show, she's there, and that's the way it works.
0: Well, there you go. That's that's terrific. Couple of questions, James Lipton style here at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, what is there a passion outside of horses at this point? Uh,
1: I guess there's a passion for life, uh, but this is basically uh, a, a, a new life uh, for me because uh, uh, you know it's a, it's a second life, and uh, uh, it, you know it, it's. Uh, it's allowed me to uh, forge a a whole new uh, a whole new thing with my life Uh, and, and the great thing about it is a whole new set of friends every time you breed somebody's mare to your stud you make a friend every time you sell a horse to somebody you make a friend and they're scattered all over the country it's just it's just a great thing for for any family and it's not for everybody because it's a tremendous amount of work but but it's given me a whole new lease on life. Uh, uh, I'll tell you, the uh, television uh, business is demanding. The pressures are great, and even when I was in that business and still and had horses, it was it was a relief to uh, had something, uh, some place to go. I had a place where no one was going to scream at me, and uh, and who who would love me and like me, and I would return it to them. Uh, so it's uh, it's 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 what I am today, and it's what I want to be for, I guess, the rest of my life.
0: That leads me to my next question: Is after being 40 years in the TV industry, do you even watch TV anymore? <laughs> no, <laughs> I,
1: gonna, I, I just thought honestly, that might be uh, the answer. I, I will t- I'll be very honest with you. I'm a I'm a real news addict. Both newspapers uh, uh, television I watch a lot of news I really do I read two newspapers every day cover to cover uh, but in terms of the entertainment no and neither does my wife who is still involved in television business. We, there is one program which we've talked about already that we watch every night and that's Jeopardy
0: mm. <laughs> oh really still
1: <laughs> really still Still? <laughs> and I I knew Merv Griffin uh, very early on and and uh, Uh, Merv was, uh, one of my first television assignments was a show uh, out of 8H and 30 Rockefeller called, on Saturday nights, called Saturday Night Prom, and Merv was the host. And then the show went off the air and so forth. And years later, I run into him down at NBC. He was there for some reason. He he's a, he had a remarkable memory and never forgot a name. And I, and I said, uh, I said Merv, how are your horses? And he said, oh, he said, that's right. He says, I knew you when I had, I had all those quarter horses in New Jersey. And I said, well, guess what? I got Morgans. And I says, but I moved out in the country, and it's a hell of a commute. He says, well, do what I used to do. And I said, what's that? Take the helicopter in. <laughs>
0: That's Merv. That's Merv. (laughs) Now, was he as intense as he seemed to be? Uh,
1: Not really. A bright, brilliant man. And as you know, uh, made zillions uh, in real estate. Uh, uh, He was always a friendly guy. Uh, Had a very easygoing manner. Uh, Hard worker. Uh, But very, very smart. Very smart. Uh, it's interesting about people in entertainment, if I can just yeah. put it on the side here. Uh, n- there are numerous people who, entertainers, who get into horses, And some in, who had, I forget the fellow who had the Kentucky Derby, uh, I'll think of his name uh, one of these days, and several others, and they'll tell you, and they had... Kentucky Derby contenders and, and or horses doing this and that and MERV too, MERV had a had a contender at one point. And to a man and to a woman, they will tell you all the Emmys, the Oscars and stuff that I've acquired, done this and that, the awards I've gotten, there is nothing like having a win with a horse. I mean it's it's it this happens all the time. And it shows you the power of these, these wonderful animals.
0: One more question: if, if for the teenagers coming up today who want to, you know, who want to uh, make horses a living, and for all of those coming up in the show world, what would you tell them? What What have you learned, and what advice would you give them?
1: Well, I would first of all, I'd say get an education first, because uh, it's almost like uh, don't quit your day job. Mm-hmm. It is a very difficult profession. Uh, it helps if you have. Uh, financing from somewhere because the if you're going to make it a profession let's say as a trader uh, it, it is a difficult job uh, and it, it takes forever to, 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 to really build a business and you um, uh, the, the most trainers the, the acquire, if they can acquire property real estate so they have some equity uh, that provides some kind of a cushion for them, but there are so many young trainers that just literally live, you know, hand them out. Now, in terms of young people to learn how to ride and so forth, it is a great, great uh, uh, recreational thing. Uh, uh, it, it, it requires a tremendous amount of, of uh, energy uh, and focus. I mean, you, you learn how to, to uh, when, they t- when they talk about an independent seat, they mean it because you got to be, all your parts of the body have to be independent. And I, I think it's just a wonderful, wonderful outlet uh, for, for kids. Uh, I never had to worry about my kids because I knew when they got home from school where they were, they were in the barn.
0: Well, Claire, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. This has been a whole lot of fun. I was looking forward to this all week. And, you know, we could cover, we didn't touch on all of the things that we could have talked about here today because there's so much more. And we're going to have to do this again in another couple of years because you're still competing.
1: Absolutely.
0: (laughs) We're going to have many more championships to talk about in the future. Best of luck.
1: Thank you.